You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss whether or not your house, aka your primary residence, is an asset or a liability. So we're going to get into that in just one moment. But before we do, a quick word from Landlord Studio. If you're a do-it-yourself landlord managing rental properties, Landlord Studio is made for you. The software helps landlords simplify income and expense tracking. With their easy-to-use app, you can digitize receipts, record income and expenses in real time, generate reports, and even manage leases and tenants. Plus, Landlord Studio makes late rental payments and bank visits a problem of the past with secure online rent collection. Get the rent paid directly to your bank account, and you can even automate rent reminder emails and late payment fees. Landlord Studio is also the best way to stay tax compliant. They offer a range of financial reports, including Schedule E and supplier expense reports designed for tax time. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com slash CPA and use the coupon code REALESTATECPA at checkout to get 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com slash CPA and use the code REALESTATECPA to get 25% off your plan today. All right. So let me break this down. So why we're having discussion in the first place. So everybody knows Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you don't go pick up the book, it's a great book. And as good as the lessons in that book are, there's some fundamental flaws that I believe are in some of the lessons. And one of them is that your house is a liability and not an asset. And in the book, Rich Dad breaks down and says that an asset is something that puts money into your pocket. So in other words, it's cash flow positive, whereas a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket and is cash flow negative. He goes on to say that your primary residence is not an asset because it's not making you rental income, right? You're not renting it out for the most part. And you have all these expenses that are associated with it. You know, you have utilities, property taxes, mortgage, principal payments, and interest. And for the most part, these are not tax deductible and it's just going to put you in a cash flow negative situation. However, I disagree with this position. I disagree that your house is not an asset. I believe that your house is an asset for a handful of reasons. And here's why. All right. First and foremost, your house is generally going to appreciate over time, especially in this market. And especially if you're living in a hot market that is rapidly appreciating. So this is by itself, just increasing your net worth and sure it's increasing your net worth just on paper. However, you can go ahead and you can actually use a cash out refinance or home equity line of credit to pull that idle equity out and then take the cash and reinvest it, right? Reinvest it into rental property, into the stock market, into really whatever assets you want to invest it in and earn a return on that idle equity, making it an asset, right? Because now you're making money off of it. In addition to that, there's something called the home sale exclusion. Now, you might be already familiar with this. If you live in the property for any two out of the last five years, you're going to be able to exclude up to $250,000 or $500,000 of capital gains from tax. So basically, you can live in the house. If you live there for at least two years, for the most part, you can just sell the house and you're usually not going to pay tax on that first two fifty dollars or $500,000 of capital gains tax. This 
by itself allows you generally to trade up into bigger and better houses. And that's part of the way you can do that, right? Or you can take the excess equity, buy a cheaper house and go and reinvest it, whatever you want. The point is that that's an asset that's generating money for you over time. Additionally, some people use this as a wealth building strategy to actually build their wealth because they'll go and live in a house for two years as their primary residence in a highly appreciating market. They will go in and sell it and then go rinse and repeat and use the strategy to effectively build up their net worth and their capital over time. That's what I did, actually. When I was in DC, I met my wife and moved to Baltimore and bought a three-unit property. I rented out two of the units and I lived in one of the units. So I, I was able to cover my personal expenses. And I know that's like maybe different than what Kiyosaki or Rich Dad is is mentioning here in terms of don't buy a home because it's just costly. But I know a lot of people are house hacking. I know a lot of our employees at the firm here are house hacking. But uh, but I, I started out house hacking. I'm oh, sorry, rented out two units, lived in one unit, had all my expenses covered, mortgages covered, utilities were covered, plus like an extra hundred bucks a month, I think is kind of what it came out to be. So I was immediately saving $1,500 a month in like DC rent. And, and, and probably another 200 or so in utilities on top of that every single month, which is awesome. Nice. Then I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. So I sold that property and I used the section 121 exclusion on my percentage, my personal use portion. So like when you have a multifamily property or when you are house hacking a property, you can't, you can't section 121 the entire property because you, some of it is in is business use. Some of it is personal use, but I was able to allocate roughly 33% of the gain to myself in section 121 that. So I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. We bought a, as like a three bed, two bath, 1500 square foot ranch and lived in that for two and a half years, 2017 to 2020 ish, a little under three years, I think is when we were, when we moved. But anyway, we added probably a hundred K in equity just with the run up of prices. And we sold that and used section 121 again. You just build the equity and you don't pay tax on the, the increase in equity. That that's the beautiful thing about section 121. You can use it once every two years. You do have to live in the property for two of the past five years. So if I bought that property I just mentioned in 2017 say April, 2017. And now it's April, 2022, I would have, you know, just a few days to liquidate the property and, and be able to say that I lived in it for two of the past five years. But yeah, and there's a couple other rules, which I don't know if we're going to like dive into with section 121 exclusion. But the point is, is that if you're single, you can exclude up to 250 K of gain. And if you're married, you can exclude up to 500 K of gain, which is super helpful for everybody that's been sitting on real estate right now. Right. Is only primary residence. You can't use it for your rental properties uh, unless you're doing that house hack thing that I just mentioned, but really valuable. And, and that's the issue that I have with the rich dad stuff. I understand the premise. I understand that we're trying to be very simplistic in terms of, hey, if you don't have something paying you and you have to pay it, then that's a liability. Um, somebody else owns it. Sure, I get that. But I think that it just it really leads people astray. That's like, I don't, right. I, it really bothers me with the Dave Ramsey crowd too, because here they don't have debt. Right. So we're very anti debt, but if that's the case, the past five years, you have missed out on an incredible wealth building run. If you believe those things, if you believe your primary residence is a liability and not an asset, if you don't believe in debt, you follow that Dave Ramsey advice, you lost, you lost, 
a crap ton of money over the past five years, that opportunity cost of your decisions, you've lost a crap ton of money and, and everybody can make their own decisions. I'm not saying that your decisions actually bad. I just, I mean, yeah. the reality is, is that like, like we're up huge in our primary residence right now and I'm not alone. Well, like all of our clients are up huge. I mean, people have added half a million dollars of net worth since 2020. <laughs> and now with inflation raging, guess what rises with inflation? Real estate prices do. I mean, last year, Raleigh, North Carolina experienced like 15% home appreciation. Guess what it's supposed to be this year? 15%. Guess what it's supposed to be next year? 14%. That is wild. Think about how that works. Like you buy a 700K home, you put 140K down. The 700K home goes up, uh, let's just call it 10%, so to 770. Well, that's straight equity. That's 70K that it just increased. That's straight equity for you. Because now if you sell it, you're going to cash out your 140K original that you put in plus the 70K of growth because your loan has stayed the same, if not decreased a little bit due to the amortization. So now in this property, I have $210,000 of equity. So I've earned $70,000 on my 140K. I've got a 50% return on my investment in one year because of this home price appreciation. And that doesn't even include my debt pay down. So who gives a crap what you're paying out right. on a monthly basis when the market's running up now, now when the market tanks, that's a totally different story. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's something that is very realistic and a possibility. We all saw it in 08, 09, but guess what we also saw? We also saw it all come back. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just, I struggle when I hear, I remember reading uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad in college. I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Liability, don't buy a personal residence. But you start doing tax returns for people that have really made it. I mean, like really made it. Not the people that you see on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter talking about how great they are. I'm talking about the silent Joes that have 300 mil in their pocket that you've never heard of. You do those guys' tax returns you realize you need to be buying as much real estate as you can. <laughs> yeah. You know, and look, and look, Brandon went through his story. Well, the last five years, I've, I'm fortunate that I did invest in real estate, investment in real estate. So I have been able to uh, partake in this run up. But, uh, you know, earlier, Rich Dad had convinced me, right? He convinced me his, his lessons are good. I'll give you that. some of his lessons are good. But he convinced me that buying a uh, primary residence was, you know, a liability. And to be fair, everybody around me in New York, at least I can't speak for everywhere. You always hear them complaining about their mortgage, about how much interest they're paying on their mortgage, about how much property tax they're paying. Property taxes in New York are very high and they always increase. In fact, they just increased in Nassau County not too long ago. And there's an entire like movement to like get them reduced. So anyway, in New York, the environment in New York, it all kind of pieced together. But now I'm looking around at the rest of the freaking country in markets like Raleigh or, or Florida or what have you. And the appreciation of homes has been so substantial. I'm just like, how the hell do you think? I mean, I was looking at a property in Florida that was $425,000 in October of 2021. And had I bought that property, I would have been coming out of pocket another about $1,500 a month, more than I am now. But then the property had appreciated now to over $500,000. And uh, when I did the math, that extra $1,500 is peanuts compared to the appreciation that I could have got. So I'm kicking myself to say the least. Now, so you just heard the story about Brandon, Brandon, who has been able to take advantage of this run up over the last few years on his primary residence and my story, who unfortunately did not, but fortunately invested in some real estate. So it's not all a loss. It's not all bad. It, and I guess uh, so something else to you know shine a light on too is the fact that it's hard to, uh, to actually sell your home in, in such a runup. Right. Yeah. So, so for example, 
Uh, so I'm going to give everybody some real life numbers and this is all public information. So I feel fine giving people real life numbers. Okay. And if you didn't realize this is public information, you can go on to Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com. You can go to the property assessor database. I use the property assessor database to look up my neighbor's names <laughs> before we go to any sort of events. I don't know if people know you can do that. People, uh, what is it? Uh, one of the guys in our firm was recently saying that he, uh, in his neighborhood, they were all like putting together like a contact sheet so they could all like meet up and all that stuff. And this person was like, I don't want anybody to know where I live and my name and my information. And uh, the guy in our firm was like, well, you know, it's all public, right? Like I can, <laughs> I can just look it up on the property assessor database and see real quick. So anyway, so the information I'm going to give you is all public information. So I don't feel weird about doing that. Um, we bought our current house for 770K back in 2020. A uh, house up the street just got listed for $1.6 million. And it's a comp to ours. It's a pretty direct comp to ours. Now, I before that one, the value based on comps in the area was around 1.3. But if that one sells, now we're talking about like 1.6. So I'm over here getting excited, right? I'm like, whoa, man, right, we've done a really good job with this. You know, yay me for picking this perfect... as really my wife picking this perfect location and a beautiful house. But then you get slapped in the face with the reality of, you know, it's all great. Like in theory, if I were to sell it, what would I do? You know, okay, cool. I've got all this, I've got all this equity, all this, but now if I sell this, all the other prices have already increased too. (laughs) Yeah. So, so where do I go? Do I go buy a bigger house, more expensive? And then I can kind of see where Kiyosaki is coming from in terms of your house is a liability because you're always just trying to upgrade and you're always paying. You're never really cashing that equity out until the very end of days or something like that. And so I can kind of see it from that perspective. Yeah. And I know that a lot of our clients have the same issue because I've talked to them about it. Like, like, great. Yeah. You, you, you've added 500 K a million dollars of equity of net worth in this run-up. We've got a lot of clients out in California and they've seen massive spikes of appreciation. So they're all tickled to death. They're all super excited. Right. But what do they do with it? That's the question nobody has. It's like, do I sell? Do I rent a place for two years and hope the market crashes and potentially miss out on another 30% run up in price? Like, what do I do? You know, and yeah. that's the dilemma. <laughs> yeah. But then the flip side of it is if you don't do that, well then guess what? You're screwed anyway. The market is just running. You're, the that's market true. Is running up and now you're not keeping up with the market and now you're, you're being left behind. You know what? That's a great perspective that I did not, I, I have not had until we did this podcast. Well, it's he, like, yeah, if I never owned the home, then I wouldn't have all this extra equity. Right. To and then even have that, this conversation about. <laughs> yeah. And then if you try to buy the home, well, now you're buying at 1.2, 1.3 or 1.6 million, right? Instead, right. now you own, you're in the home for 700,000 or whatever it was, you don't get left behind. So it, it, bottom line is, especially in this market, if you're in the right market, now, if you're in a market that's going to depreciate, which I'm sure there's still markets, even in this macro market that we're in right now that are going to depreciate, well, maybe not so much, but if you're in the right markets, your house is definitely an asset. And having said all of that, I'm going to buy a house really soon. I can guarantee you that one way or another. And I'm not going to be left behind on this next run up. Okay. I, I'll tell you that much. And it's going to, it's expected to continue. We've had a lot of people on a podcast recently, well, not recently over the years, but someone recently, Mark Centarelli and the fundamentals of the real estate market in many areas are there's a lot of demand as millennials come into the house buying age and there's just not enough supply because they had a halt production of real estate in 08 and 09 during the financial crisis. And we never really quite caught up. And so now you're seeing this fundamental 
supply and demand gap that's going to continue until at least 2024 in many markets, according to what sources you pay attention to, but go as even as far as at least 2030 macro perspective. And so it, it still very much makes sense probably to continue buying real estate. It's not financial advice. So, you know, make your own decisions, but you know, it's probably not a bad thing to do to buy real estate right now in the right market. Yeah. Rates have gone way up though, man. That's the, like I, I was telling you before we launched this or started recording that we're actually looking to move a mile South of our current house, because that'll put us in walking distance to this big development that's going on in Raleigh. And there's like a whole bunch of new restaurants and bars and like offices and cool stuff, just really cool kind of um, urban slash city vibes. But within the span of a month, the payment has like doubled because the rates yeah. have gone up so much. So now, now I'm really just sitting here going, well, now what the heck do I do with the equity? Uh, now I can't, you know, Oh, you can't yeah. even do that. Cause the interest rates have gone up. Well, right. Yeah. You can't refi. <laughs> so well, you, you just could. sit, you just sit and wait, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, lots of, lots of interesting stuff, but, but all in all house is definitely an asset. I mean, you have to buy something that you can afford. And I think that's the biggest challenge that, that people face is they, you know, they get their eyes get big. They walk through the beautiful new build that smells like cookies and they just go, Oh my gosh, we have to have it. Yet their income doesn't really justify spending. And I know there's all these like things out there like, Oh, 30, 40%, whatever, but I think it's 36% of your gross income. It should be allocated to housing. That's like the limit. Yeah. I've always believed just keeping it below 10%. If you can keep, if you can keep your housing below 10%, meaning that you keep pushing your income up, you got to find ways to push your income up. That way your housing gets diluted, essentially. You keep it below 10% and that house becomes an asset all day long because you can ride out any downturn at that point if uh, if your housing cost is so low compared to your total income. And if you're listening to this and you're newer in your career and you're like, oh, this is so out of touch that you know my housing cost is 30, 40% of my total income. Hey, look, like I was there at one point. Tom was there at one point. We've been there, but I'm 31. How old are you, Tom? 30. I'm going to be 31 next month. So 31 next month. We're we're 31. We figured out in a relatively short amount of time how to drastically scale our incomes and you can do it too. You just have to make the right decisions. You don't have to even own a business. I've been really big on that recently because I see a lot of, a lot of CPAs. Uh, I work with a lot of, well, not work with a lot of CPAs, but I've been networking with a lot of CPAs now that I have time because we have an awesome team in place to do the, uh, the client work here. And one thing that I've realized is a lot of CPAs that are running their own businesses are, would really be really solid, like number two or number three people at a firm, not the number one person. The number one person's just got like, it's just a different mindset, a different set of tasks. Um, but the point is, is don't feel like in order to scale your income, you have to go start side hustles and you have to, you know, try to build your own business and stuff that works for some people. But the reality is, is a lot of people fail at that. Yeah. And they, they end up in a worse financial position. So you could actually be a great operator or a great technician, and you could team up with somebody that is the visionary. That's the person that's going to scale and your income will scale as well. You know, the living proof here at the firm yep. and, uh, and, and where it's going to continue to be living proof here at the firm. But, you know, when I say, you know, keep your housing costs below 10%, if you're currently at 30, 40%, I'm not saying go and liquidate your housing or, or change or anything, but I am saying, figure out how to grow that income, how to scale that out. Yeah. You know, I'll just tell you a quick story out there. One time when I was in accounting class, I raised my hand to my accounting professor and he was talking about investing and, and, and stuff. And he goes like, yeah, but professor, where am I supposed to get the money to invest? And he just looked at me 
And he said, you got to hustle, baby, hustle. And he had a very disgusted uh-uh. look like you millennial, you millennial right there. You got to hustle, baby, hustle. So that's been my mantra and will be my mantra. So if you want to get out there, you do have to find ways to increase your income. Like Brendan said, you don't have to have a side hustle or start your own business. There's ways to do it. But you always have to focus on increasing your income because at the end of the day, there's only so much you can reduce your expenses by. It's just the reality of the situation. So here, here's how to do it too. Here's how to do it. All right. This is what I look for as a boss. Okay. Um, you got to make my life easy. People who make my life easy will, will come up through the ranks. Right. And that, that means putting in the time. It means putting in weekends. It means hustling sometimes. Right. It means doing things that make you uncomfortable. If you love preparing tax returns, it might mean trying to figure out how to do sales or marketing or something that's a little outside, a little uncomfortable for you. But at the end of the day, it brings business in. It makes your, your superior, their job easier. So if you're trying to figure out how do I double my income within the span of two to three years, you better be asking your manager on a weekly basis, what is important to them and trying to figure out how to solve those problems and make their lives extremely simple because then they will be your advocate. And if you're attached to a good manager, you guys can scale together real quick, especially if you're in a smaller business. If you're at the big, the like massive firms, you kind of already have a set career path. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe, and you know, maybe you do your time and, uh, and then you jump out to a smaller firm or I know I'm talking about CPA firms, but this applies to really any, any business out there. You can gain your experience, build that resume, then jump to something small that can scale. But yeah, it's all about just looking to the next person above you and saying, how can I make this person's life easier? And I have hired and subsequently fired people who, who want it all, but they're not willing to give anything. Don't be that person because your income will scale much more slowly than the person that gives value and then asks for the take. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta provide value first. It goes for anything, business marketing. It's always better to give first and then receive later. But anyway, we went on a massive tangent here today, but uh, good stuff. Very good stuff. The bottom line is the takeaway for this lesson is that your house is an asset. Okay. Especially if you're buying an appreciating market and you have to increase your income, always be looking to increase your income. And there's many ways to do that. And we described that here today. If you're not already part of the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group, you definitely want to make sure that you're a part of that. We now have over 10,000 members and growing a lot of great conversations taking place, just like conversations like this that we had here today going on in the Facebook group all the time. So if you want to learn how to build wealth, you want to learn how to do it tax efficiently, you need to be in that Facebook group. And it's free. What you have to do is go to www.facebook.com slash group slash Tax Smart Investors, or just search Tax Smart Investors on the Facebook little search box and you'll find us. Uh, Go ahead and join that and we'll see you there. And we'll see you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, You really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.